Wrecking the place. <clears throat> Good evening. Our reading comes from Judges, chapter, starting at chapter 14, all the way through to 15, verse 20. That's on page 257. <clears throat> so that's Judges, chapter 14, through to chapter 15, verse 20, on page 257. Samson went down to Timnar and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnar. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. Samson went down to Timnar together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnar, suddenly a young lion came roaring towards him. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman and he liked her. Sometime later when he came back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass and in it he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. He scooped out the honey with his hands and ate as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they, ate it, and they too ate it. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Now his father went down to see the woman, and there Samson held a feast, as was customary for a young man. When the people saw him, they chose thirty men to be his companions. Let me tell you a riddle, Samson said to them. If you can give me the answer within, within the seven days of the feast, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. If you can't tell me the answer, you must, you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. Tell us your riddle, they said. Let's hear it. He replied, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. For three days, they could not give the answer. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us, or we will burn you and your father's household to death. Did you invite us here to steal our property? Then Samson's wife threw herself on him, sobbing, you hate me, you don't really love me. You've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. I haven't even explained it to my father or mother, he replied. So why should I explain it to you? She cried the whole seven days of the feast. So on the seventh day, he finally told her because she continued to press him. She in turn explained the riddle to her people. Before sunset on the seventh day, the men of the town said to him, 
What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? Samson said to them, If you had not ploughed her with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He went down to Ashkelon, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of everything and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he returned to his father's home. And Samson's wife was given to one of his companions who had attended him at the feast. Later on at that time of wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat and went to visit his wife. He said, I'm going to my wife's room. But her father would not let him go in. I was so sure you hated her, he said, that I gave her to your companion. Isn't her younger sister more attractive? Take her instead. Samson said to them, this time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. I will really harm them. So he went out and caught 300 foxes and tied them tail to tail in pairs. He then fastened a torch to every pair of tails, lit the torches and let the foxes loose in the standing corn of the Philistines. He burned up the shocks and standing corn together with the vineyards and olive groves. When the Philistines asked, who did this? They were told, Samson, the Timnite's son-in-law, because his wife was given to his companion. So the Philistines went up and burned her and her father to death. Samson said to them, since you've acted like this, I swear that I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. He attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. Then he went down and stayed in a cave in the rock of Etam. The Philistines went up and camped in Judah, spreading out near Lehi. The people of Judah asked, why have you come to fight us? We have come to take Samson prisoner, they answered, to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Etam and said to Samson, Don't you realise that the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? He answered, I merely did to them what they did to me. They said to him, we've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. Samson said, swear to me that you won't kill me yourselves. Agreed, they answered. We will only tie you up and hand you over to them. We will not kill you. So they bound him up with two new ropes and led him up from the rock. As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came towards him shouting. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Then Samson said, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. When he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone, and the place was called Ramath Lehi. Because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord, You have given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? 
Then God opened up the hollow place in Lehi, and water came out of it. When Samson drank, his strength returned, and he revived. So the spring was called En Hakakor, and it is still there in Lehi. Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. This is God's word. Thank you, Shaq. Good evening, everyone. Hope you're well. And the plan for this evening, just so um, we know, is to look at those chapters, um, and then hopefully, um, Lord willing, we'll get on to chapter 16 as well a little bit um, later on. Um, But before we um, look at God's word, let's pray um, and ask for his help. Father, we've been singing about your son, the one who is both strong and kind. And we pray that as we look at your word, that you would help us to delight once again in his character and his death. For his glory we pray. Amen. Well, I take it we've all had one of those experiences where reality doesn't quite match up to our expectation. Um, I had one of those um, experiences a few years ago. Um, Here's a picture of the kind of cake that I was aiming to make. There it is. Um, Here's the picture of the cake that I did make. Look at that. That's amazing, isn't it? Shrek cake. Wonderful. Reality wasn't even close. Not Not even green. Reality not even close to our expectations. Let's get rid of that picture, Trevor, I think, before we get distracted. Reality not even close to expectations. At the end of Judges chapter 13, we were left with great expectations. Remember, last week contains good news that will cause great joy for all the people. For in the town of Zorah, a savior has been born. The people were in a desperate situation. They had again done evil in the eyes of the Lord. They'd been handed over to the enemy. They didn't deserve to be saved. They didn't desire to be saved. And yet we read about how the Lord graciously brought about a promised Savior. And remember, this Savior, this deliverer, isn't any old kind of deliverer. He's a Nazarite. He is one who has been set apart, one who is consecrated, one who is going to be holy and pure. He's the judge who can save them not only from the hands of the Philistines, but also from themselves. Great expectations. And yet as we read through chapters 14, 15, and 16, it is clear that reality does not match with those expectations. As we read through these chapters, many, many flaws. Samson is not a good character. He makes many, many terrible choices, and it begins with his marriage. Verse 1 of chapter 14, Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She's the right one for me. So Samson goes down to Philistine territory, and we think, great, here is the start of Samson delivering the people. He's going to fight against the enemy. 
but instead he wants to unite with the enemy. He wants to marry this Philistine. And so just like we would say that it is not right for a Christian to marry a non-Christian, his parents question his decision. But Samson ignores them. Notice just how impulsive he is. Notice just how individualistic he is in decision-making. And notice how he makes decisions based upon his senses, his feelings, even when they clearly contradict what God says. And yet, even though that is the case, we need to notice that the Lord can and indeed does work through the sinful decisions of his people. Verse 4, his parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. Now we need to be clear on a couple of things from this verse, that it is not saying that the Lord is happy with Samson's decision. This verse is not here in order to justify the decision that Samson makes. Samson cannot put his hands up and say, well, I'm just not responsible for my decisions. No, he's responsible for the real choices he makes. And yet at the same time, God is sovereign. He will work not just despite Samson's sinful decisions, but through them in order to confront the Philistines. We need to keep this verse, verse 4, in mind. We need to keep this comment from the author in mind because it unlocks the whole passage for us. The whole narrative is all about how the Lord begins to gain victory over the Philistines through the sinful decisions of Samson. And there are plenty of them. Remember, we saw last week that Samson was to be a Nazarite. And so according to Numbers 6, three stipulations, do you remember them? Diets, number one. Samson was to abstain from wine, from other fermented drinks. He was to avoid grapes and raisins. Number two, Samson was to do, to do with hair. No raisin was allowed to be used on his head. And the third one, corpses. Samson was not allowed to go near a dead body. How does that go? Well, by the end of verse 6, he's killed a lion in a vineyard. And by the end of verse 9, he's gone back to the carcass to scoop out some honey. Now, of course, it's not a human corpse. But the little comment about how he did not tell his parents where the honey had come from indicates that Samson knows that he's done wrong. And that's not all. Verse 10 his father went down to see the woman, and there Samson held a feast, as was customary for young men. When we read feast there, think more drinking party with wine and other fermented drinks. The Nazarite vow is not going well for Samson. This feast continues for seven days, and, and Samson sees a little business opportunity, sees um, an opportunity to get some free clothes, and so he offers these companions a riddle to solve. If they can do it, Samson will give them 30 garments of linen and 30 sets of clothes. If they can't solve it, they must give him 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. They're happy to join in, and so he gives them the riddle, out of the eater something to eat, out of the strong something sweet. Now, of course, we know the answer. We've just been in the vineyard with Samson. We know it's about a lion. We know it's about honey. And, and we've already heard the answer a bit later on in the chapter. But for these guys, it is impossible 
It's just a random statement. I mean, how are they meant to know that it's about lions and about honey? And so when they can't work it out, they find his new wife and they blackmail her. Find out the answer or you and your family die. Samson doesn't tell her to begin with. He holds out for the length of the feast, but she persists. You hate me. You don't really love me. And so just before the deadline, Samson tells her. She goes and tells her people, interesting comments, her people, the Philistines, and they come and tell him. And so then he basically calls his new wife a cow, a heifer, and then he goes to Ashkelon, kills 30 men, takes the clothes off their bodies and carries them back. He's so angry, though, at this point that he doesn't continue with his own wedding. He's sort of left this wedding partway through the celebrations. He goes back to his father's home, and his wife is given to one of the companions. Now, for Samson, striking down these men, this mini-victory over the Philistines has absolutely nothing to do with saving Israel. For him, it's all about him paying off his debt. It's all about personal revenge. And that is what continues to happen throughout chapter 15. Samson goes on vigilante modes. He finds out that his wife has been given to one of the companions. And so how does he respond? Verse 3, this time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. I will really harm them. And so somehow he manages to catch and 300 foxes and stop them running off. He ties them up, he attaches some torches, he lights them, and he lets them loose. And this would have caused massive damage. We're told, verse 1, it's the time of the wheat harvest. But again, Samson's motive, notice, is simply that of personal revenge. Verse 6, when the Philistines asked who did this, they were told Samson, the Timnite's son-in-law, because his wife was given to his companion. Things don't stop there. This chapter, it just goes backwards and forwards. The Philistines find the woman and burn her and her family to death. And so again, Samson promises that he will get revenge and then attacks them. It's devastating. Remember, Samson is meant to be different. He's meant to be set apart from Israel. And yet these verses, this back and forward, well, they show us that he's not even different to God's enemies. The Philistines go to the Israelites in order to take Samson prisoner, in order to do to him as he did to them. And then notice this comment. When the Israelites go to Samson at the end of verse 11 of chapter 15, he simply says, I merely did to them what they did to me. Do you notice? Samson is no different to the Philistines. He's acting just like them. Now, of course, Samson isn't the only one to blame. Um, Israel are at fault too. We said last week that it's a sad state of affairs, that they are unhappy that Samson's causing unrest with the Philistines. It's a sad state of affairs that they would rather ally themselves with the enemy, handing their deliverer over to the enemy rather than backing him. It's a sad state of affairs that they're prepared to send 3,000 men to do this. After all, if Samson can escape 
and defeat a thousand people by himself. Imagine the damage they could do to the Philistines if they worked with him. But having said that, the emphasis in these chapters is on the flawed character and the flawed decisions that Samson makes. We've seen plenty already. There are more at the end of the passage. Why is this Nazarite touching a fresh donkey's jawbone? Why is it now that Samson is so concerned about defilement and ritual issues in his prayer when before he was happy to marry an uncircumcised Philistine? And yet, even though that is the case, even though that Samson is incredibly flawed, even though it's all about personal revenge, chapter 13, verse 5, is coming true. Samson is taking the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. 14, verse 4, is coming true. The Lord is using this to confront the Philistines. You probably noticed as the verses were read for us that the Spirit of the Lord comes powerfully upon Samson three times in these chapters. The Lord begins to gain victory over the Philistines through the sinful decisions of Samson. And it is striking that Samson acknowledges that in his prayer at the end of the chapter. You have given your servant this great victory. And given that he does this, and and given that the Lord then answers his prayer and provides some water, well, maybe we think, well, this is the time of reset. This is the time when Samson will change. This is the time when Samson will start again. This is the time at the end of chapter 15 when he's going to start being godly and pure, the set-apart leader that he's meant to be. I'm afraid not. Chapter 16 is very similar to chapters 14 and 15. As you read through it, you get a very strong sense of deja vu. Verse 1, one day Samson went to Gaza, where he saw, notice that word again, a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gates. They made no move during the night, saying, at dawn we'll kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate, together with the two posts, and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength, and how we can overpower him, so that we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. Again, rather than remaining separate from the enemies, Samson sides with them. Rather than fighting the enemies, Gaza again in Philistine, he unites with them. This man is incredibly strong physically. He can defeat a thousand people by himself. He can carry these gates 40 miles away to the top of the hill. And yet when it comes to women, he's incredibly weak. He lacks self-control. And this is what leads to his downfall. Just like the Philistines used his wife back in chapter 14 to solve the riddle, 
Well, now they use Delilah to solve the source of his strength. Verse 6, so Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secrets of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson answered her, if anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him with them. With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snaps the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, you have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. He said, if anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then with men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. Delilah then said to Samson, all this time you've been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He replied, if you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with the pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping... Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric, and tightened it with the pin. Again she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and pulled up the pin and the loom with the fabric. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. Delilah um, isn't very subtle, is she? Um, she goes um, straight for the question. You know, just on the off chance, um, Samson, let's just uh, hypothetically speaking, run, let me run a, an idea past you. Um, if somebody wants to tie you up um, and subdue you, um, how would they do it? Um, but it's not a hypothetical question. And Samson, he's not the brightest, is he? I mean, he really should realize this. He gives an answer. She tries it, and there just so happened to be a load of Philistines waiting for him to take him away. But he manages to escape three times. She keeps trying. She keeps complaining, you've made a fool of me. How can you say that you love me? Again, notice the parallels with chapter 14 and his wife there. And eventually, he gives in. Verse 17, so he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more, he has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands, after putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair, and so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He woke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding corn in the prison. 
but the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid, our waste, laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. Samson this time gives in and tells her everything, that word coming up multiple times. And so Delilah puts him to sleep. Samson's given a haircut, and she wakes him up. Samson just thinks, I'll go out as before. I can shake myself free. But he can't. He did not know that the Lord, the real source of his strength, had left him. And so this man, who was so often driven by what he saw, is taken away blind. Do you see the irony? Driven by his sight and now blind. And the Philistines begin to celebrate. And it is a tragic ending. The outcome of this story should be the other way around. It should be like chapter 5, where the Israelites praise Yahweh for delivering them. It should be that the Israelites are praising Yahweh for delivering the Philistines, but instead it's the Philistines praising Dagon. And yet in verse 22, the author gives a glimmer of hope. There's one more twist in the tale. Let's pick it up where we left. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servants who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more. And let me get one blow let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached towards the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Then his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtael in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had led Israel for 20 years. Samson's been brought out to perform in this temple. Um, it's very busy. There are 3,000 on the roof. And Samson, whose hair at this point is growing back, he prays for strength. But again, just notice how selfish his motives are. He's not concerned about the Philistines ruling over Israel. He's not concerned that Dagon is receiving the praise that the Lord should be receiving. He simply wants revenge for his two eyes. And when we're told about how he pushed with all his might and how the temple came down on all the people, including himself, we're simply told that he killed many more when he died than while he lived. I think that's a very negative comment about Samson. What a waste of a life. 
He's got this superpower. The Spirit of the Lord coming upon him. He could have defeated many Philistines. And yet the most useful thing he did for Israel was to die. What a tragic ending. It's very flat, isn't it? It's very disappointing, particularly given what we saw last week. Remember chapter 13, full of great expectations, full of great hope, and yet it is clear that reality has not matched those expectations. And yet if you've been with us through the book, then we're probably not too surprised. Remember the whole shape of the book is downhill. Israel, throughout this book, get worse and worse. Remember, Judah are the best tribe in chapter 1, and it is Judah who the Philistines go to, and Judah who hands Samson over. Israel are getting worse. And yet it's not just Israel who are getting worse. The judges get worse too. The first judges in this book are the best. They are the ones who bring about peace and rest in the land. There's no mention of that here. And it's not just about whether they're successful or not. It's all about their character. The first judges are the most godly. And yet as you go through the book, as you make your way through the judges, their character becomes very questionable, many more flaws. We've seen that with Samson. And if you want the summary, then I think it is this. The issue with Samson is that he is just like Israel. He's meant to be set apart. He's meant to be consecrated. He's meant to be different. And yet he's just like them. Samson, just like Israel, came about through a miraculous birth. Samson, just like Israel, called to be separated out from the people around him. Samson, just like Israel, happy to intermarry with the nations. Samson, just like we will see in the rest of the series, does what is right in his eyes. We'll see that in chapters 17 to 21. Israel does what is right in their eyes. Samson does what is right in his The big problem with Samson is that he doesn't live up to the calling he was meant to live. Rather than reflecting God's ideal, rather than being different to Israel, he's exactly like them. He reflects Israel's spiritual state. And yet, and yet the wonderful thing is that even though that is the case, even though Israel are getting worse, even though the judges are getting worse, even though Samson is the worst, He has begun to take the leads in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. In the words of 14 verse 4, the Lord has used all of this to confront the Philistines. The Lord begins to gain victory over the Philistines through the sinful decisions of Samson. I hope that's a wonderful encouragement for us that the Lord will fulfill his plans and people's sin can't stop that. His people's sin, his enemy's sin cannot stop that. It's a wonderful encouragement to us that as we flick forward to Hebrews chapter 11, which of the judges get mentioned in Hebrews 11? It's the worst ones. A wonderful encouragement. But as we've seen throughout this series, first and foremost... We're to let these judges point us to the Lord Jesus. And I hope that as we read through these chapters that you're much more thankful for the Lord Jesus. 
as we've seen Samson's attitude towards women, the way that he sees them, the way that he treats them as an object for his own pleasure. Aren't you thankful for the way that Jesus treats women with complete dignity, complete respect? As we've seen Samson make decisions impulsively based on what he thinks is right, aren't you thankful for the way that Jesus submits to his Father's will? As we've seen Samson time and time again go after personal revenge against his enemies, aren't you so thankful for the way that Jesus came first to forgive his enemies? As we've seen Samson use his power and strength in order to serve no one but himself, aren't you thankful for the way that Jesus uses his power and his strength to serve others? As we've seen Samson act like a complete bully, aren't you thankful for the way that Jesus is gentle and kind? I don't know which aspect of Jesus' character you need to particularly remember at this moment in life. But this week, why not use these verses about Samson and let them cause you to think about our Savior. And yet, even though Jesus is much better than Samson, notice that Jesus is the one who dies like Samson. The Lord begins to gain victory over the Philistines through the sinful decisions and death of Samson. Jesus is the one like Samson, the one who was betrayed for money, handed over to the Gentiles. Jesus, like Samson, is the one who was beaten, the one who looks weak and defeated as he goes out to the hill in front of the crowds. Jesus, like Samson, is the one whose arms were outstretched, not in between pillars, but as he was nailed to the cross in order to defeat his enemies and save his people. And if the Lord can begin to gain victory over the Philistines and therefore save his people using Samson, well, of course, the Lord can defeat Satan and bring salvation to us through the perfect obedience and sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Our Father, we praise you so much that your Son, our Lord and Saviour, is nothing like Samson in his character. Thank you, Father, that he serves others. Thank you that he's gentle and kind. Thank you that he shows dignity and respect to all people. Thank you that he came to forgive his enemies. Thank you that he has gone to the cross for us. And we pray, Father, that these verses would help us to delight all the more in his character and in his death that brings salvation to us. Help us to reflect upon these things with one another and during this week we pray. Amen. Musicians are going to come up and we're going to close our time together by singing of the cross of the Lord Jesus.